on this dry, sunny winter's morning, we're glad to be able to come and meet together and discuss the things of the Lord. To feed on the living bread of the Word of God. I'm feeding on the living bread, I'm drinking at the fountain head, and whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. What? Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. What? Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. And whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. And the woman at the well said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water. Are you feeding on the living bread and drinking at the fountain head this morning? Well, we're coming back again to Jude. Jude is a difficult little uh, epistle. And I hope you are being challenged by it as I am. We're coming to verse 11 in the epistle of Jude. Jude, just before Revelation, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. You know, when we were talking last week, we realized that Jude was a man who did not pull his punches. As we would say today, he tells it as it is. He says that things are bad in his day. The word of God was being sidelined. People were not upholding the word of God and contending for the faith. And that was the main reason why he wrote this short epistle. And he introduces us to three men who disregarded God's word and faced severe penalties. And he warns of those same sinful actions and the way they behaved were affecting the witness of the church of Jesus Christ in his day and will continue to do so in our days as well. These false teachers who had invaded the church in Jude's day also exemplified, symbolized and illustrated the sins of the three men mentioned in verse 11 by Jude. And unfortunately that is true of many false teachers today. So let us once again look around and see if this is happening in our churches today, even as we speak. His second example 
in verse 11 is a man called Balaam. We'll take a look at this man. To start with, his name means foreigner. He was a foreigner. You know, the error of these men must have been very serious. And we had Cain, we discussed last week, he murdered his brother and rebelled against God's teaching. And we have a man called Korah, number 16. He rose up against Moses. Well, Balaam is in the middle of these two men. It seems he was not an Israelite. He came from Assyria, Iraq. Numbers 22, verses 4 and 5. Jude says, He ran greedily after reward. He ran greedily after reward. He didn't try and hide it. He was open. He wanted cash rewards. While Peter says in Second Peter verse, chapter 2 and verse 15 the way of Balaam the son of Bezar who loved the wages of wickedness. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. He loved the wages of wickedness. As we look at Balaam, we will see in him a man who was self-seeking in the things of God. He looked as if he was on the right road, but his ambition was self-seeking, all for himself. The Jews apparently give him the following characteristics, some of the Jewish writers. Balaam the wicked are an evil eye, a haughty spirit and a proud soul. As such inherit and descend to the pit of destruction. That was how some of the Jewish writers apparently thought about Balaam. Jesus, of course, writing through John in Revelation, also talk about Balaam. Writing to the church at Pergamum, in Revelation 2, verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. And one may read of such immorality if you read Numbers 25. Basically, the story of Balaam was that Balak, the king of Moab, 
wanted this man to come and curse the children of Israel who had encamped very close to his country. And he was terrified that Israel would attack him and destroy him as they had other nations prior to this. Balaam was a mixture of evil and apparent good. And you know, God hates mixtures. We did a series a while back on woolen and linen. God dislikes mixtures. God spoke to and through Balaam, who was seeking ways in which he could curse Israel and obtain the proceeds for his divination. He appeared to be a spirit medium whom God used to further his will for Israel. It's a difficult subject this to understand how God used Balaam to further his views and his will for the children of Israel. The Lord put a message in Balaam's mouth and said, Go to Balak and give him this message. We know most about Balaam in Numbers. Numbers chapters 22, 23, 24. We have all the goings on about Balaam and Balak. Numbers 22, and the children of Israel set forth and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. Funny expression that, wasn't it? When you see cows and ox eating grass in the field, they seem to be licking it up at a fierce rate. And that's what they expected would happen to them. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. And he sent messengers to this man, Balaam, and he wanted him to come and curse the children of Israel. He was evidently known to be a prophet or a soothsayer who could be hired for money. And so the elders of Moab and Midian were organized and they got these men, very renowned men within those countries, to go to to Balaam, taking with them the fee for divination. 
and it was Balak, the king of Moab, who sought these services. And he said, come, I want you to curse Jacob for me. Come and denounce Israel. But what about the mystery of a prophet? Abel apparently to demonstrate his credentials. He was prepared to lead God's people astray. Surely God could not have sent him. Strange. Well, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. And this is quite interesting. We read the passage. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Chapter 13. We start reading at verse 1. And this is very interesting. It's telling that if a false prophet tells you a wonder that's going to happen, and it happens, just as he said, then what do you do? If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known. And let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you, testeth you, to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, And ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. And that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or the friend which is in thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee. For the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, that's covering a lot of people, all his acquaintances, Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shalt thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards 
the hand of all the people. Thou shalt stone him with stones, that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, or from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and shall be no more any such wickedness as this is among you. And ye shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. So this man, Balaam, fits in very well to what was happening there in Deuteronomy. Beware of blindly following prophets or miracle workers or faith teachers. Check what they are saying. Look at their life. Does it speak for God or for their self-interest? I suppose Balaam in the world is best remembered as the man whose donkey spoke to him. What was Balaam's error? It's very difficult when you read through chapters 22 and 23 and 24 of Numbers to point out exactly what was his error. The core issue is that Balaam had been commissioned by an enemy of Israel and was on his way to curse the Israelites whom God had blessed. However, the way in which Balaam acted contrary to God's will is more difficult to discern. When first asked to go and curse Israel, he inquired of God and was told, Do not go with them. Don't go with them. You must not put a curse on those people. Because they're blessed, the children of Israel, God's chosen people. And he sent the men away the first time. And then in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 20, they came again. And God came to Balaam at night and said unto him, him, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt do. God had said, don't go with them. The men had come back and, uh, with from Balak, once again with uh, obviously the proceeds for his divination. And God said, go with them this time. But you know, there is a feeling here, as you read these things, that Balaam was very keen to go with them. I get the feeling that he got up earlier. It says, if God said, if they come, go with them. But he was quite prepared to be ready for them, sitting waiting early in the morning, waiting for these men to come. That is the feeling that seems to be there. 
And he went. And what happened? His donkey was stopped by the angel of God. And that angel eventually appeared to Balaam, causing him to acknowledge his error. Chapter 22 and verse 31 to 34. Chapter 22 of Numbers. Balaam rose up at verse 21. Balaam rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. God's anger was kindled against him. And the angels of the Lord appeared and it stood in the way as he was riding his donkey and first of all the donkey got past it in some way and the ass saw the angel standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field got off the road and into a field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way, to come back onto the road. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, went on a little bit further, and stood where there was a wall on each side of the pathway. And Balaam gave it a couple of bells with his rod, and the ass saw the angel of the Lord. She thrust herself against the wall. She tried to get past the angel. And in trying to get past the angel, she crushed Balaam's foot against the wall and he smote her. And the angel of the Lord, it said, stood in a narrow place. There was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. They asked, saw the angel of the Lord. She fell down under Balaam. She fell down on the ground. And he was really very cross. And he smote the ass with his staff. And then a most amazing thing happened. The ass said to Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam uh, said unto the ass, it doesn't say that he was surprised, which amazed me, but he said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, and I'd have, I'd have killed you. And the ass said, am I not thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever in the habit of doing this and uh, Balaam said no then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and a sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face and the angel of the Lord said unto him wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times because I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. He had gone against the way of the Lord, 
his way was perverse before the Lord. And the ass uh, saw me and turned from thee these three times. Unless she had turned from thee, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will go back again. The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with these men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak but every time Balaam went to prophesy evil against Israel God would not allow him to do that and instead of cursing them each time he blessed them and you'll see that if you look at verses 7 and 10 in chapter 23 and uh, other, other verses further on. God would not let him curse Israel for Balak. But you know, Balaam still hung around with Balak. He was quite prepared to go along with the things that Balak wanted him to do. It's like Christians. Christians in our churches who are happy to associate with other people. Even though they are aware that other people are not preaching the word of God as it should be. They're still prepared to go along. For the sake of some false unity. We have churches which are anti-Israel, even anti-Semitic, and have an agenda. But yet we find Christians will stay on in these churches, eager to find favour and acceptability, and even with secular societies, by cursing Israel. What is meant by cursing Israel? Genesis 12 verse 3 God speaking to Abraham I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. You know Balaam was eventually killed while fighting for Israel's enemies. It is a pity that more Christians are not prepared to speak out as Balaam's donkey did. Very few talking donkeys are they're in short supply these days. People who are prepared to fight and stand up for the things of God. I was reading a commentary 
by a man called Hall, F.B. Hall, written in the 1900s. And I'll just read a short portion from this. This epistle speaks of the way of Cain and the error of Balaam. It is in Second Peter that we read the way of Balaam. But in both epistles, the thought connected with him is the same. For in Peter we find him described as loving the wages of unrighteousness. His course there is described as madness. Alas, his madness has had many followers from the day in which Jude wrote to his own people. The evil men that Jude was exposing ran greedily after his error. And we believe those two words are still applicable to very many. It is a striking fact that Balaam and his evil teaching appeared in the Lord's address to the church at Pergamos in Revelation 2. Inasmuch as that church sets forth prophetically the epoch when the church accepted the patronage of the world and the corruptions of the Roman system began. Now I just want to stop reading that there and read what Revelation says about the church at Pergamon. Revelation chapter 2, reading again from the Amplified Version. Revelation chapter 2, and we read from verse 12. Then to the angel, the messenger of the assembly of the church in Pergamon, write, These are the words of him who has and wields the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live. That's interesting, isn't it? I know where you live. God knows the situations in which we have to live these days. I know where you live. A place where Satan sits enthroned. Yet you are clinging to and holding fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed, martyred in your midst where Satan dwells. Obviously this man had been martyred in around the church in Pergamon. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have some people there who are clinging to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balaam to set a trap and a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. 
to entice them to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols and to practice lewdness, giving themselves up to sexual vice. You also have some who in a similar way are clinging to the teaching of the Nicolaitans in those corruptors of the people which thing I hate. Repent then or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who is able to hear, let him listen and heed that what the Spirit says to the assemblies, to the churches. To him who overcomes, who conquers, I will give to eat of the manna that is hidden. And I will give him a white stone with a new name engraved on the stone, which no one knows or understands except he who receives it. This church at Pergamon had upheld the word of the God, of God, the word of the Lord. But, but they clung on to the sin of Balaam. That sin of Balaam, in that system, Hoyle goes on. In that system, we see religion as a money-making power carried to its highest pitch. Years ago in Spain, we saw a paper in which it was pointed out that all the supposed benefits which Rome offered from birth to death cost money. That, in fact, there was nothing without it. Moreover, after death, it was still money, money, and more money, for there was purgatory to be shortened. The title of the paper, translated into English, was The Religion of Money. The history of Rome through the ages furnishes us also with many and terrible examples of men who have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, just as Jude says. Many other forms of ever have a strong strain of money-making in them, though not perhaps to the same extent. And that's a little commentary by that man, Hole. We must add these TV faith teachers and others are all making the Christian faith a religion of money. Balaam was a man who was self-seeking in the things of God. May we seek to show discernment in our lives, both personal and in our churches, seeking to walk worthy of our Lord as ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ,
for his sake. We must walk through this evil world and we must act as ambassadors. We have to be careful how we walk and how we talk. We used to sing a chorus, keep the standard high, he's coming by and by. Keep the standard high for Jesus. Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you talk. Keep the standard high for Jesus. Amen.